4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we're going to begin a new series this morning. But before we do, I just want to remind you, I know most of you were probably here last Sunday, but if you were not, we uh, had our uh, candidate for associate pastor of worship with us, he and his family, last Sunday, and we overwhelmingly uh, affirmed his call to our church. And so Ricky Johnson, his wife Katie, and their six kids will be joining us on November 22nd. That'll be his first Sunday with us. And so be praying for them during this transition time. There's a lot of things, a lot of uh, dots to, to make and T's to cross and all those things between now and then. So we'll be praying for them in the transition up here. But we're super excited that he'll be joining our staff team and leading us uh, for the years to come. We're also excited about Ben Little. You know, Ben and his wife have been with us for a number of months now. He's been our interim worship leader, worship pastor, and we're just been blessed by his leadership here. And so he will be going next Sunday in view of a call to Seaford Baptist over in Seaford, Virginia with Michael Howard. And so we are super excited for him. This has been a blessing. Uh, you as church have been a blessing to him, giving him an opportunity. You know, during COVID, it's forced all of us churches to kind of be online. And so you have video footage of leading, and every church wants to see you preach. They want to see you lead music, whatever your calling is in the ministry, they want to see that in video, not just hear it on audio or hear somebody talk about you. So we've been able to, we've been able to be a blessing to him, and God's used that to open up a door for him to work and serve there with Michael Howard. Michael's out of our church. You know, his mom and dad are members of our church, and so we're excited for you, Ben, and, and what God has for you in the future. We'll be praying for you next week as you uh, do that. In fact, all this week you'll be there, right? A lot of meetings, a lot of those things. Uh, so be praying for Ben and his family as they're in that transition time as well. Well, this morning, uh, if you will, take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to be in a new series today. We're going to be talking about the church over the next uh, nine Sundays. Nine messages in this series is talking about the church, who it is, what it is, and why it is important. The past several months, really the past seven, eight months, have been difficult for us, right? It's, it's COVID has changed everything. It, it really kind of just uh, made everything a challenge in our lives. And so for us as a church, it's been a challenge on multiple levels. Uh, in fact, it really has just uh, forced us to do some things that we never did before. I just mentioned earlier that now every week we're streaming online. We've been doing that since March 15th, and uh, we'll be doing that for the foreseeable future. So it's, it's done a lot of things, good and bad, but it's forced us to do some things. In fact, it began by forcing us to close all of our in-person worship and small group activities. And so we were forced to move everything online for those several weeks. And uh, I preached to a camera, I think for 11 or 12 Sundays, and we were leading music to a camera. Sometimes we pre-recorded that, sometimes it was live, sometimes it was a mix. And I don't know if you ever knew the difference, but it was sure different for me to be preaching and our worship team to be leading to an empty room week in and week out. And so after that, we slowly have begun to open up. You know, in the middle of May, as soon as our governor allowed for it, we came back in person in multiple worship services. And then uh, in latter part of June, we moved again and modified our small group model. And then this past Sunday, we reinstated our original schedule, going back to one service, one small group hour. And last Sunday was a great, great time for us to finally be back together as one, one people in one room uh, for the first time in months. And so, you know, yeah, let's celebrate that. That's good. It's challenge that COVID has brought, has, it's like I said earlier, it forced us to reevaluate what we do and how we do it, which is good and bad. You know, I'm a guy that's very habitual. You're probably a, a habitual person as well in certain areas of your life. And so you're just accustomed to doing the same thing in the same way, in the same way, uh, over and over and over and over again. And so we get into those ruts even in the church. And so it's good at times for things to jostle us out of our comfort zone, out of our routine, out of our habits, and to begin to rethink some things. And so we are able to see strengths in our church ministry. We've been able to evaluate and see weaknesses in our ministry as well. And so we've been trying to, to make some changes that would put us in a better position as we move forward. And so we come back in one service. Now, not all of our people are back. And many will and have been joining us online exclusively in our uh, Facebook Live thing, they're watching this morning right now. We're excited that you're here. We're happy that you're ch choosing to tune in to us and, and be a part of us virtually each and every week. And then, unfortunately, there are others that have dropped out altogether from church. They're not watching or attending here. They're not watching or attending elsewhere. And so that's just kind of the negative side of, of what's happened. It's been a challenge. But here's the good thing. 
if it is a good thing. The challenge has not been exclusive to us. Churches all over our country are facing the same thing. And so it's forced us as churches, as leadership, to really think about who we are, what we're supposed to do, and why we're supposed to do it. What is it that we do when we gather? What is it that we're seeking to accomplish? What is the purpose in all of this? And so this is nothing that's limited to simply red lane. Churches all across America are facing the same challenges. In fact, I came across a study from the Barna Group published a few months ago. And in that study, it revealed that one in three, that is 32% of practicing Christians have stopped attending church during the COVID-19 shutdown. So 32% of those in this poll said we've just stopped going to church. Another 14% indicated that they have switched churches during this time. And then 18% uh, in the study indicated that they view multiple churches online throughout the month. And so they're still watching and, I guess, virtually attending, if you can call it that, their church, but they're also watching other churches. And then that leaves a mere 35% who are still exclusively attending their pre-COVID church. That's an interesting title there that Barna gave, pre-COVID church. But that's the season that we're in. And so when we think about what that means for us, it means that we've got to look at new waters and learn how to navigate these new waters. As we do so, I believe it's important for us to understand who and what the church is. It's important for us to understand why we do what we do, why we gather. I mean, think about it. Does it make a difference whether the church physically gathers together or whether the church virtually gathers together? Is there a difference? And I hope to be able to talk through that over the next several weeks. Does it matter if we gather with the church at all? I mean, there's a lot of people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, I love his word, I study his word, but I don't really care uh, about going to church. I don't believe it's important or, or necessary that I gather with the church. And so, does it matter? And when we do gather, what is it that we should do? So over the next couple months, we're going to answer these questions and others like them. We're going to look at what the Bible says about the church. We're going to see nine different things. This morning we're going to begin, and we're going to see that we are a preaching people. Then we're going to talk about how we are a theological people. We're a gospel people. We're converted people. We're an evangelistic people, a committed people, a disciplined people, a growing people. And then we're going to end by talking about how we as the church are a congregational people. I believe we need this sermon series because in the age of this individualistic commitment phobia type of culture that we live in, many self-professing Christians have become disillusioned or dissatisfied with the local church. And so you take those two things and you combine them with other things and it creates a culture that can be fairly hostile toward the community God desires for his church. And I've told you uh, many, many times that God has created us in community because he is community himself. And so The church is a community of faith, and we're to walk and to live and to be in that community, even though our culture fights against it. And so the Bible clearly expresses the great need for the church. Think about this. As the Lord's authority here on earth to affirm and to guide and to give shape to our Christian lives. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to explore all the things that should comprise the people of God. And today we begin with the fact that we are a preaching people. A preaching people. Now you would expect a preacher to say that we are a preaching people, right? That kind of makes sense, that I'm going to advocate for preaching. But that's not the case at all. I'm going to show you from Scripture that we are preaching people because God is a preaching God. He is a God who has spoken. He's passionate about His Word. And He uses His Word to do anything and everything in His sovereignty to work in the lives of humanity. And so it's all about His Word. And so preaching, obviously. But when we talk about preaching, now there's a lot of variation, a lot of varying opinions about preaching, right? You have opinions about preaching. Some of you think, well, he preaches too long. Some of you think, you know, you preach too short. God help you, right? Because I preach pretty long as it is. It's always 40 plus minutes. And so if you go to a lot of places in America, that's way too long. You go to places in the world and that's way too short, right? I mean, there's been many times I've been in Uganda or other places and they're like, hey, pastor, we need you. We would like for you to preach. And the service starts in 30 minutes. We need you to preach because I always ask the question, how long? We need you to preach about one and a half hours, maybe two. All right, you're giving me 30 minutes to preach two hours. Good thing I've got a good practice about preaching long sermons. But you have all kinds of opinions about preaching. George Bonner, again, he has argued based on research that sermons should be easier to understand, less abstract, more spontaneous, shorter, 
filled with more stories of personal experience and should allow for partis- or participation excuse me, of the audience. It's interesting. David Hilborn in his book, uh, Picking Up the Pieces, likewise suggests that there should be some sort of public participation or audience participation in sermon delivery. Now, Mark Dever, the pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist in D.C., would take issue with that. In fact, he does take issue with that idea of preaching being more of a dialogue versus a monologue. And so to this, he says this, and I quote, If in our preaching we stand in the place of God, giving his word by his spirit to his people, then surely it is appropriate that it be one-sided. Not that it should be one-sided in the sense that the one preaching is never to be questioned, but in the event of preaching itself, the univocal character of God's Word comes as a monologue to us, not hoping to elicit interest and participation, but requiring that we respond. Think about what Mark Dever is saying. And I, I would concur with Mark Dever. Basically what Dever is saying is this. In preaching, the preacher stands before the people and says, Thus says the Lord. So who is it of, who, who are we to think that we have some say in that or we have some participation in that? No, the prophets, prophets of Old and New Testament stood before the people and says, this is what God says. This is what God declares about your lifestyle. This is what God declares about your sin. This is what God declares about your future and, and salvation. And everything that the Lord says came from a monologue as he spoke on behalf of God himself. And so as we seek to better understand who and what the church is and why the church is important, we begin with preaching. Because think about this. If we can get preaching right, are we not in a much better shape to get all of the other things right? Right? Because everything is grounded upon the Word of God. And so if we don't know the Word, if we're not taught the Word, if we're not receiving and applying and instilling the Word of God in our lives and in our church, then how could we ever do all of the other things that we're going to talk about over the next two months. We are a preaching people. We're a preaching people because God has revealed himself to us through his word. The word of God living and the word of God written. The word of God living in Jesus, the word of God written in the Bible. And so it's through the word of God, it's through the Bible that the Lord is calling us. It's through the word of God that God draws us to himself. Ben, this morning as we were baptizing him, we gave the testimony. How is he drawn to faith in Jesus? It wasn't through something other than the gospel. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ as Steve and his family have poured into him through the Bible. We're a a word people, a people built upon the word of God. And so it's through the word that God establishes and grows us in our faith. It's through the word that we're confirmed or conformed into the image of Christ I love how Stephen F. Olford speaks about this, the great preacher there in Memphis from years ago. He said, the scriptures and practical experience have taught us that God is more concerned with what we are than with what we do. And so it's through the preaching of the word that we are transformed into his likeness. You want to know how you're going to become more like Jesus? It's not because you go and read a bunch of other books. It's not because you go and listen to a bunch of other speakers. No, it's because you've been You've been infected with the Word of God. You've been affected by the Word of God as it's taught and poured into you. And you've allowed it to transform you from the inside out. So preaching, when you think about it, has the Bible as its content and transformation as its goal. The Bible is the content of our preaching, but the goal of our preaching is transformation. It's not Bible trivia. We don't preach so that you can answer all the questions when you're in small group in your fellowships. And so you can answer those obscure questions about who so-and-so was and where that person lived and what that person did. It's It's good to have the information like that. Only so much as it leads to transformation in your lives. And that's what God's Word seeks to do in us, to transform us and make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Olford also says, preaching must have as its goal not only impartation of truth, but also the transformation of life. And I believe the Apostle Paul clearly understood the necessity of preaching and preaching for transformation and how it plays itself out in the life of the church. You've got your finger there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul's final letter, his last writing before he's going to leave this life. And in this final letter, he calls Timothy to esteem, to hold highly the preaching of the Word of God. 
Timothy, as the pastor there of the Ephesian church, had one primary responsibility, and it was to preach the word. Look with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. May we all fulfill the ministry that God's given us. Here in this letter, 2 Timothy, Paul, in this final writing, as I just said, is writing to the church. He's writing to encourage the church. He's writing to encourage this young pastor. And he calls for Timothy, and he calls for the elders to guard the gospel message and the doctrine of the church. We see that there in the first chapter. He tells these leaders of the church and encourages them to endure suffering as a good soldier. We know that the Christian life is not easy. We know that it's difficult. And so we need to endure in the suffering as a good soldier. He challenges them to focus on the work of the ministry, to live godly before all, so that they can be an example for others to follow and to lead them to greater faithfulness. He charges them to high or to hold high the word of God. Here in this final chapter, this high view of scripture is to be the sole influencer in all their preaching and teaching. Paul's telling Timothy basically that everything in ministry rises and falls on your leadership through the Word of God. Everything is contingent upon the Word of God. And you know, it kind of makes sense that a preacher would advocate for preaching in the church, obviously. But I want you to just roll with me for just a moment with a question. Is preaching really that important? Or is it just something that us guys that do it say is important? Is preaching important. Now you're going to probably with unison say back to me, absolutely pastor, preaching is important. But for the sake of just asking a question, think about that for a moment. Is it really that important? Can we get by without preaching? Or at least can we have less of it? Now if any of, any of you are thinking that and are going to vocalize that this morning, I'm going to squelch that because that would hurt my feelings if you said we want less preaching. But maybe. Let's ask the question. Can the church not just worship the Lord through song? Can we not, when we gather together, just sing and lift our voices and, and praise and adoration of the Lord? Can we not get together and, and love one another and be the body of Christ and, and exemplify what Jesus prayed would be present in the church, that we would love one another? And so through fellowship, can't that be enough? Especially if we sing a little bit. Or what if we go out and do service projects? Or, or, or what if we do a, near, a myriad of other things? Can we do other things and still be the church if we do not have preaching? Here's a statement I'd like to make on that question. A church that does not have the clear teaching of the Word of God at the center of who and what it is is like a train running off its rails. Why is that? It's because as we see in Scripture, everything runs on the rails of God's Word as it's taught, as it's preached, as it's conveyed to the people of God, calling them to the Lord, calling them to see their sinfulness, calling them to see their need for the Lord and find redemption in Christ. How do we get that without preaching? I mean, Paul says, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. It's the gospel message that must be shared for us to understand our sinfulness. You're not going to get that through singing a song. Obviously, the gospel, and if it's a good song, it's going to have the gospel there. But in and of itself, maybe that's a form of preaching. So you've got to have the teaching, preaching of the Word of God for transformation to take place. And so it's doctrine that gives clarity. And it's doctrine that holds the members to all that God has declared. Therefore, the church must not only be built upon preaching, it must be established on expositional preaching. Maybe this morning you hear that term for the first time. You're thinking, what is expositional preaching? Well, when we talk about expo expositional preaching, we usually contrast it with another kind of preaching, and that is topical preaching. 
And so topical preaching is preaching that takes a subject and talks about that subject. Many times, topical preachings, they find a subject and they say, this is what I want to say, this is what I want to talk about. And so it's Christianized. We go and we find a bunch of Bible verses that prove what we're trying to say, but what usually is taking place in topical preaching is, I want to say this, and so I'm going to find scriptures in the Bible to prove and to validate what I already want to say. Rather than in ex- expositional preaching, we take for the point of the sermon the point of the passage. And so we're working more than likely books through books, verse by verse, and we're taking for the point of the message the point of the writer's intentions in the Scripture. So whatever that is, you're working through it, and you're lifting from the page what the Bible has to say, and then you're forming your message, your subject and its contents around the main idea and the context of the passage that is being expounded or taught. And so it's preaching in service to the Word rather than the Word being used in service to the sermon. That's what expositional preaching is. And so it requires a commitment to hear God's Word because it forces the preacher and the congregation to work through the whole counsel of God. So when you're going verse by verse through books of the Bible, what happens? you got to deal with the easy stuff and the hard stuff, Right? you got to deal with those areas that if it was just left to you and your preferences, you would never deal with. Because number one, they're difficult. Number two, they're controversial. And number three, we may not like what it says. And so we would just kind of skip over that. We would pass over that. And so if you're not committed to that sort of preaching and teaching, then when you come to those texts, you're just going to pass them by. You're going to dismiss them. You're not going to spend the time in there. And we know that everything in Scripture is for our benefit. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So this morning we're launching out into this new series, which I will confess is topical in nature. However, we're going to look at it contextually from individual passages of Scripture. You'll see that this morning. So we're going to do exegesis, that is lifting from the text, from a particular passage of Scripture to speak to the issue, because this is a doctrinal sermon series, and it'd be really difficult, if not impossible, to preach on the church from one particular book of the Bible or one particular passage of the Bible, because God just hasn't spoken that way. We see the church in a lot of different texts throughout the Old and New Testament Uh, And so we just need to to do that. But we're going to try to do it from different single passages of Scripture as we go through this. And so just rest assured, I'm not saying topical preaching is sinful or evil. In fact, probably out of 52 Sundays a year, we're going to have in the neighborhood of 40 to 42 that are expositional through books of the Bible. And then the others would be Sundays that I'm away and someone else is preaching here. And so they may do topical sermon or it's going to be a doctrinal type of series such as we're doing today, uh, working through the church or talking about the family or finances or something like that. But our meat and potatoes is working through verse by verse through books of the Bible. So I say all that to set up this series and to set up this morning. Let's talk about how we are a preaching people. Again, here in 2 Timothy, Paul's reminding Timothy that the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God is central and it is instrumental to the church. And so as a preaching people, three things I want you to see here in Paul's words to Timothy. Number one, we see that he, that he issues a charge. A charge is given to this young pastor, this young preacher, this young leader there in Ephesus. Verse one and two, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So Paul's words here are delivered with great force. Did you catch that? I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God. I charge you in the presence of Christ. I I charge you in, in the presence of the one who's going to judge your life, both living and the dead. Preach the word. Great fervency goes into this charge. There's passion here. Nowhere else in Scripture do we see this apostle giving this type of preface to a charge. And so what he's doing here is he puts preaching in a holy context in these words. In other words, as you stand before the people of God, there's an audience watching that's so much more important than the audience watching me today, whether in person or online. The audience that the preacher preaches to 
audience of one. It is the Lord God himself. That is what he's telling this young preacher boy. He's putting it in a holy context. He wants Timothy to understand and remember that he is preaching before God, that he's never forgotten, that anything he does, anything he says is never unnoticed by the Lord. And so Timothy was to preach to this audience of one, and his first and foremost audience was the Lord. We need to remember that as we preach and teach. Even small group leaders, when you think about preparing for your lesson week in and week out, you need to take it and, and approach it with the same sort of passion, the same sort of commitment, the same sort of, uh, of just rigorous work that Timothy is charged to do, that you come to it faithfully and you come to it biblically and you teach and discharge it in a way that it brings honor and glory to God because you're not handling your word, you're handling his word charge is given. Timothy's second audience is the one that God's placed under him. It's the one that God has placed under his shepherding care. It's the local church. And so it was the church here in Ephesus that Timothy was to preach the word. He says, preach the word there in verse 2. But it's interesting that Paul's charge to this young pastor, think about it, that it was about preaching. Today, here's what we would maybe consider more than preaching. Now, Timothy, you're, you're leading this church, and a lot of good things are happening in this church, and, and people are coming out of idolatry, and people are coming out of sinful lifestyles, and people are coming into the gospel, and they're coming into the church. You need to be a great leader, Timothy. You need to be a great visionary leader. You need to be a guy who can, who can move these people and take them where they need to be. You need to be able to cast vision and, and hold things together. You need to be, how, be able to lead other leaders, be dynamic in your leadership. Why didn't he emph- emphasize pastoral care? Timothy, these people are coming and they got all kinds of brokenness in their life. They got all kinds of problems, marital problems and family problems and drug addiction and and, and sex addiction and all of these things coming out of this idolatry and and this culture of Ephesus. You've got to be a pastor. You've got to have pastoral care. You've got to be able to visit the hospitals and do all the things to minister to their physical and mental and emotional needs. Why didn't Paul talk about the need to be nurturing and even evangelistic? There's all kinds of things that Paul could have emphasized here. So why does he emphasize preaching? seems to me in this day and age, in the modern church, that we de-emphasize preaching and elevate everything else when it comes to pastoral leadership. Paul here charged Timothy to preach the word because the word of God is central to the church. Now, I'm not maligning those other things. It's great. It, you need to be a good leader to pastor a church. You need to be a visionary to pastor a church. You need to have pastoral care skills and be able to visit hospitals and, and, and be with those who are hurting and broken and, and struggling. You need to be able to sit across a, a, a chair or a room or across a table and minister to a family who's going through a divorce and kids that are struggling. You've got to have all of those skills. You need to be evangelistic. He's going to say, do the work of evangelist in verse 5. When it comes down to the pastor's number one responsibility, it ain't those things. It is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Everything we do revolves around it. And so it must be built. The church must be built and established upon the Word. If we will get the priority of the Word established, then Mark Dever says this. He says, we have, a, we have in place the single most important aspect of the church's life and growing health is virtually assured because God has decided to act by His Spirit through His Word. So my main role, main role of any pastor-teacher is expositional preaching. I'm charged to preach the Word. Think about what that means. I've been given the holy responsibility. I've been given the unspeakable privilege of heralding God's timeless truth and teaching the people of God. Word and the word alone is active. It's alive. It's able to divide the heart and go deep down into the deep recesses of a person's heart. No other thing can do that. And so it's not that the pastor needs to be creative. It's not that the pastor has to be cute. It's not that the pastor has to be relevant. You just need to be able to stand up and take the word of God and teach it in its context. Teach it the way it's delivered to us. Teach it to people. And what God will do, he will take his Holy Spirit and he will move it into the hearts and the minds of people and draw them to faith. One of the reasons I'm an expositional preacher is because I'm not creative enough to be a topical preacher. I'm just not. 
I mean, I think about these guys sometimes. I mean, anytime I'm out of a series and I don't already have another series kind of lined up and I've got three or four weeks to play with or, or maybe I know what I'm going to do next, but I, I want to start it at a certain time because of whatever the calendar is, it's a struggle to come up with messages. Oh, man, i got three messages to fill between these two series. And I'm just like, what do I do? I mean, there's, if, some people will be like, well, you need to, to think, you need to preach on the needs of the church. Well, those are innumerable. So where do you begin in that? Oh, do I preach to their finances? Because we got people that don't tithe, right? we got people that never give. Do I preach to unfaithfulness in their attendance? Because we got people, I mean, what, what sin do you want to preach to? Just begin there. And then when you preach on sin, that makes you all comfortable, right? Like they're, I'm, I'm singling you out. So it's never an easy thing. So I'm just not creative enough to come up with those types of series. And then others, guys, will, will kind of throw it out to the church. Well, what do you want to hear? And I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, though I don't do it. So I guess I'm saying it's kind of wrong in a way. That's a monologue, dialogue type of thing there. If I'm standing before the Lord, I need to hear from his word. And many times it's not just me, it's our elders working together. This series that we're in right now is uh, the vision of our elder team working together, saying, hey, here's a need in our church. The season that we've been in with COVID has just kind of forced us and put us in a place where we need to really make sure that we as a church understand what it means to be the church. And so as elders, we looked at the needs there and said, all right, this is something we need to speak to for the health and future of our church. And so today we preach the word. We don't preach pop psychology. We don't preach self-help or motivational speaking. Go somewhere else for that kind of stuff. I'm not saying those, some of those aren't beneficial to some extent, but it's not transformational in a person's life. So he's charged here to preach the word. And then what does he say in, in addition to that? Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, Timothy, be ready to preach when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Be ready to take the word of God and build the church up and encourage the church. And when you need to do other things, do that as well. So there's a strong sense of urgency here on the part of the preacher because he understands that God's word alone creates faith and grows the people of God. This takes place in a variety of ways. Paul tells Timothy to reprove and rebuke and exhort. The, the idea of reproving is to bring proof. It's the idea of exposing what is present in a person's life. And it's not that the preacher does that. It's not that I'm standing up here and I say, hey, Joe, you've got sin in your life. Though there may be a time for that, I'm probably not going to do it in this setting. I'm going to do that over a cup of coffee where you understand I love you and I'm not singling you out. And I say, as a brother in Christ and as your pastor, man, I see some things in your life. But even in that, I'm preaching the word, reproving, showing what's there. The idea of rebuking is to call out what is wrong and what needs correcting. To exhort literally means to call to a person. It's the idea of calling someone to your side for the purpose of encouraging the pursuit of a course of conduct. And so it's always perspective. It always looks to the future. Reproof and rebuke look at what has been and what is. Exhortation looks at what could and what should be. And what Paul's telling Timothy is do all of these as you preach the word of God. Allow the word to speak into the lives of people. These are the duties of the pastor teacher. They in turn strengthen the church. What happens when a church has strong members? It's a strong church. If you drive by the office building, the administration building that's being constructed out back, you'll see that they've put a lot of wood in there. And you look at there and you think, well, why is some of these walls have two two by sixes nailed together and some have three? And other times there's a four by four or a six by six. And, and why do we have bolts along the bottom of the baseboards bolting them to the to the slab itself? Why do we do all of that? It's so that it stands up and withstands the storm, right? So when a church is strong. When it's built upon the Word of God, it doesn't matter what comes against the church. It will stand because it's grounded on the rock, not on sinking, moving sand. So a charge is given. Man, i got to hurry this morning. Story of my life when I preach. Number two, we see a danger forewarned. Verses 3 and 4, he gives this danger here. See, Paul here is forewarning of a time when people no longer endure Bible teaching. <laughs> American culture right now in 2020, Amen. They would let go of the truth. They would begin to align their teachings with their passions. And so, think about this. It's been said that people do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Though they may try to make that argument. They reject it because the Bible contradicts them. 
No one wants the Bible speaking against their sin. No one wants the Bible pressing upon them and saying, this is wrong. That's out of order. You're not doing that right. That's in the wrong proper uh, priority list or perspective. No one of us want the Bible telling us what we need to fix. And so people reject it. Place of the Bible place of the teaching of the Bible, they install teachers, what Paul's saying here, who only teach things that accommodate their sinful lifestyle. They have itching ears. They want somebody to scratch those itches. Today we have all kinds of preachers who tickle the ears of people. Some teach that one cannot believe the miracles of the Bible. Others draw attention as they deny the historical reliability of the Bible. So they'll cast doubt upon the Word of God. They change doctrinal positions and stop calling sin, sin. We've seen that in the Catholic Church even the last two weeks. Many fill stadiums with their shady and empty health and wealth prosperity teachings. They, they teach and, and, and say that if you will live faithfully for the Lord, if you'll do certain things, and everything in your life is going to be great. I've told you many times, if that is true, God owes Job and a whole lot of people in the Bible an apology. In fact, the Bible actually says the opposite. We just went through Revelation. We saw that very clearly. Some are grand entertainers or teachers of bizarre doctrines that do nothing but pique the curiosity. So the danger is not the size of the crowds. I've never been a person that says the size of the crowd is wrong or the size of the crowd is bad. In fact, I want us, I desire for us to grow and to reach as many people as we possibly can. If that's a hundred, if that's a hundred thousand, whatever it means. Whatever we can biblically and, and soundly disciple as a church. God, give it to us. It's not the size of the crowd. It's the message from that pulpit. So we would do well to filter teachings through the grid of Scripture. A church with itching ears, think about it, it's dangerous. It's in dangerous territory because it leads to compromised theology. It leads to no growth. And I'm not talking about numerical growth. I'm talking about growing in in your walk with the Lord. I'm talking about growing in your faithfulness. I'm talking about growing in your love for the Lord, in your love for His Word, in your, uh, in your holiness and godliness. And so we should not be surprised that the mainline denominations of America today are dead in decline because they have walked away from, this, from the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That's what we, what's happened in America. That's where our convention was headed. The Southern Baptist Convention up until the late 70s was steeped in liberalism. I'm a graduate, a double graduate of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. My seminary, there were professors back then who denied the virgin birth, denied the fact that this was the infallible Word of God, denied everything that the Word of God basically teaches. If it wasn't for the conservative resurgence in our own denomination, we would be right there with the Episcopalians, the mainline Methodists, and it seems like our Catholic friends as well. So their message has been one of accommodation rather than one of conviction. He, he issues a danger here. But let me share with you a third thing, and we see a goal presented in verse 5. As for you always, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Here's the key. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it. There's a goal. There's something you're shooting for. Make sure that you finish it. Make sure that you go to the whistle. Make sure that you're always going to... Finish well. So as Paul's done throughout this letter, he once again here is contrasting the present situation in Ephesus with Timothy's, Timothy's personal call. He's called to be different. That he's to be different from the culture he's walking in and living among. And that's true for us as well. Man, how can we be evangelists in our culture when our lives and our families and everything that we do looks just like everyone else? Now, I'm not calling for legalistic living. You spend any time with me, I'm not a legalist at all. I mean, I think there's a lot of liberty in my life. You may look at me and like, that dude squeaks when he walks. I don't know. But I think there's a lot of liberty there. I'm not calling for that. I'm calling for holiness so that I can be everything God wants me to be so he can use me. So even though many people would be led into deception by false teaching, Timothy here must do something else. That's what Paul's saying. He must be sober-minded. He must allow the word to transform his life. Man, that's what needs to happen in us. And so as a preacher, I need to preach in such a way, I need to live in such a way that I'm allowing the Word of God to change my life so that it changes your life. I'm not, I don't need to come to the pulpit each Sunday preaching from a manuscript, just something I studied and that's it. I need to be preaching out of the overflow of my life. 
that God's been doing a work in my heart through my devotional time, and that's spilling over even into the preaching of my, um, of my Sunday obligations. He also must endure hardship and suffering and to do it well, sustaining for truth. Think about it. When you stand for truth, that is a lonely walk to be on. You're many times standing by yourself. You're many times, if you're going to stand for godly things and gospel things at your workplace, you're probably going to do it alone. Doing that in our culture. Many times there's other churches that won't even stand with us. When we say, you know what, that's wrong. I'm not, I, we can't go there. We're going to call it out for what it is. Many times the majority of churches won't even stand with us. It's a lonely walk. He must do the work of evangelist, Paul says. He must proclaim the gospel and call people to faith and repentance. All of these make up what it means to fulfill the ministry God has given to his preacher and to his church. And so the goal here is to preach the gospel. It's to allow the Word of God to convict of sin. It's to allow the Word of God to draw people to Christ. The goal is to see disciples made in the church. That's the goal of the church. And so when we talk about that we're a preaching people, that, the, the idea there is we believe in the Bible so much that we understand and we're convinced that it is the only thing that people need. That doesn't mean we don't have particular ministries that try to minister to people where they are, but in those particular ministries that we're using to meet people where they are, what we always have is the Word of God. Self-help, psychology, sociology, food, whatever it is, whatever that material, emotional type support may be, if it's not coupled with the Word of God, it's not worth anything else. It's temporal. But the Word of God makes it eternal. We can feed people, and we need to feed people, and we can clothe people, and we need to do that. But what's going to happen when our resources run out or they go somewhere else? What's going to happen the next day? They're going to get hungry again. What's going to happen in a few weeks? Their clothes are going to wear out. So you're constantly having to do things for them, and it's not going to lead them or move past the line of life and death into eternity. The Word of God will. And so we couple it with the Word of God, with the gospel itself. We want to make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, we see in the Gospels, a, a disciple is a person who follows and mimics the teacher. Who's the teacher? Jesus is the teacher. And we're to mimic him only. We, we can mimic him only by knowing him and doing what he told us to do. Following his lifestyle, following his teachings. And we discover all of these in the Bible. It alone shows us what we're to believe and what we're to practice. So we're a preaching people. God's Word can be difficult to receive at times. I understand that. It's difficult for me as well. It confronts our sin. It's never comfortable. But when it's believed, when it's received, it will bring life. Peter testified to this. I, I want to read a passage in John chapter 6, and I'll close with this. You see, Peter understood this, that Jesus and his Word brings life. That it transforms a person. That even though it may be difficult, even though it may be hard to swallow, hard to understand, hard to apply to our lives. Because when we think about it and understand it and try to apply it, it, it requires that we cut something else out. Right? And, G and Peter understood that when he's walking with Jesus and, and living with Jesus and listening to Jesus. He understood that. And even while many turned away, Peter ran to Jesus. Listen to what John tells us in John chapter 6, verses 15, 52 through 69. Jesus is talking about how he's the bread of life and that you need to eat from the bread of life so that you don't die. And so this is a hard teaching for people. And so listen to what John says. He says, verse 52, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Have you ever read that verse in the Bible? That's a, that's a tongue twister there. That's a mind twister. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the, bread the fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. 
Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them. So his own disciples were listening to these others who were trying to figure out this thing, wanting to follow Jesus, but hearing this hard teaching saying, we can't go there. So Jesus' 12 are now contemplating, should we also go away? So Jesus asked, do you take offense of this? Then what, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless he is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Several of these would-be disciples, as we just read here, turned back. They stopped following Jesus because they could not accept his word. Peter and a few others believed him. They experienced, because of that belief, a transformation in their life. God did a work in their hearts. The Lord wants to do the same thing for us today if we will believe his word. We are a preaching people. And what is God preaching to us from his word? The good news is, is he loves you. He loves you so much that he created you to be in relationship with him. That's what the word of God tells us today. The Word of God tells us that you're important, that you matter, that you're important to the Lord, that you're not just some sort of uh, a person he's forgot. He didn't create you and kind of cast you away. No, he knows everything about you, the good and the bad. The Bible tells us that he knows the hairs on our head. Now, some of us, that's not very hard to do, but he knows them. The Bible also tells us in the, in the preaching the bad news, that even though God loves us, we're broken people. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3 how sin came into our lives. It came into the life of Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God, ate of that fruit. And that sinful nature, that, that broke relationship and fellowship with God has been passed down in generation after generation after generation. And so all of us are broken people. All of us are a mess. All of us are haters of God and rebellious against God. And if it wasn't for the gospel message, all of us would, would, would experience the judgment and the condemnation our sin deserves. That leads us to the third part of this great message, this preaching message. And that's the best news. And that God so loves us that he created us, even in our brokenness, he loves us. And he loves us so much he took your sin upon himself so that you could be forgiven and be made whole. See, the gospel tells us that Jesus hung on a cross bearing your sin and your shame so that you could be forgiven and be transformed. And if we would simply put our faith and trust in that, we could be transformed come into relationship with Jesus, have the rest of our lives changed. Now, does not mean everything's going to be easy? Does it mean everything's going to be wonderful? In fact, it, it may mean for some of us that it's going to be more difficult than it's ever been. But you're going to have a friend who sticks closer than a brother right with you. He's going to be walking in step with you. It means you have the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, living within in you, empowering you to live all that God has told you to do, enabling you to live out these words in your life. That's the message of the Word of God. And we build our lives upon it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your Word. God, where would we be without your Word? We would be dead in our sin and trespass. We would be hopeless, cut off from God. God, we would not be able to see the light. We would not be able to see our sinfulness. We would not understand our brokenness. We would not understand the condemnation that we're under. We wouldn't understand the hope that is out there for us. We would know nothing, Lord. And yet in your grace and in your mercy, you've made it available to us. Reminded of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. In Acts chapter 9, as he goes to persecute the church, as he goes to drag them off and put them in prison, or perhaps even to put some to death, in your mercy and grace, you broke in on his life. God, you physically blinded him so that he could be spiritually given sight. And in that encounter, Lord, he began to understand who you are. 
who He is. And through a sequence of events, He came to faith and trust in you. And, and then His physical eyes were again open so that He could see you. God, this morning in this room watching this online, perhaps there are people who need their eyes open. God, the greatest need in their life today is to understand their sinfulness, how much you love them and want to forgive that sin and change that sin and give them life. Father, I pray that you would give them faith this morning. Draw them to the greatest decision they could ever make in their life. God, I pray for Christians around here. God, we are so we are so apt to fall into a, a pattern in life where we we kind of give lip service to the word but we're not really not building our lives upon it but again God where would we be without your word hopeless scared fearful of the future fearful of the next doctor's visit the next virus that comes out that stands with us, who fights for us. He's a warrior king, a warrior messiah. We know that because we have your word. God, we're going to study in just a moment in Isaiah 46 in our small groups how we can trust you today because we've seen your promises uh, spoken and verbalized in the word of God, but not just that, lived out and coming to fruition in history. So God, why would we not trust you with our life? Today, we just want to confess and affirm that we are a preaching people. God, we have nothing that the Word of God has not given us. So I thank you, God. Establish us in our faith. Lord, I pray for Christians in this room that this morning who aren't living their lives accordingly, you'd point those areas out. God, make them uncomfortable. Make them miserable for them. Lord, allow your word to speak into us so that we've come to a place of faith and repentance. That that's the lifestyle that we walk in day in and day out. We love you, Lord. In the next few minutes as we stand and sing, help us to respond in faith. God, if that means coming forward, that means turning around and taking a, a, a knee or coming up here to these steps, kind of making an altar to the Lord, whatever it is, Lord. Help us to respond. God, I pray for those online that they also would respond, sending us a message, a text, a phone call this week, an email. Lord, help us to respond in faith and in repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand across the room and let's just sing, and as we do, let's respond. What is God speaking? What is He drawing you to? How deep the